I've got too much. I'm trying to do too much. Yeah. It's, it's, it startups usually fail due to indigestion, not, not having enough opportunity, but we're wow. trying to go after too much. And as soon as there's too big of a team, priorities start to shift. What is the priority? Where are we going? So at that level, we're usually at the CEO. When we get to about 100 employees, 150 employees, they've got a VP of talent. They've got a head of culture and people whose job is to take care of the culture, the hiring people. And they're usually in tune of, okay, I'm promoting managers, but I have no system in actually training them. Sure. Welcome to the Innovative Founder. The show where entrepreneurs get real. real. These are the raw, the gut-wrenching, often hilarious, sometimes shocking, and definitely entertaining stories of innovative business founders who are making their beautiful dent in the world. No BS, no posturing, and no narcissists allowed. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the unscripted adventures on today's episode. Now, here's your hairless hosts, Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd. All right. Welcome, innovative founders. Welcome to the show. So good to have you here today. I am sitting alone in the studio. Brandon is out west. He's handling a family matter. And, uh... You know, we like to say that family comes first. You know, there's times where you just need to kind of put down your your business hat or whatever it is you have and go and take care of family things. So we, we didn't want to inc- inconvenience our guests today. We, we didn't want to cancel on them because we actually did cancel on them once before when I had COVID. <laughs> so we thought, hey, let's, let's just, uh, I'll fly solo today. So this might happen once in a while, but had a really fascinating conversation with this individual. He is, what, what I liked, number one, was his energy. Uh, his name is Fahad Al-Hatab, and I did get his name right there. He's uh, from Ottawa, Canada, and runs a company called Unicorn Labs. Uh, I'm sorry, Unicorn Leaders. See, I need my partner here to tell me when I pronounce the name wrong, but they fill a really fascinating need in the marketplace. They work with companies in the startup phase, and they help train and equip managers and leaders. And quite often, these types of skills uh, are, are lacking in a growing organization. And there's a lot of things that result out of companies that don't properly train their leaders. And if Fahad talks about kind of how that manifests in this interview, and I think you're going to find it quite fascinating. So we would love for you to... Um, you know, if you're if you're in that startup phase, if, if you got 20, 30, 40, 50, 100, 200 employees and you're still growing, I think it's going to be fascinating for you to connect with with Fahad and his team and just say, hey, is is this something that I can really bring in and invest in my team? I think it's going to be uh, something that would be really useful for you. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce you to uh, Fahad Alatab from Unicorn Learning. All right. So welcome, Fahad. Welcome to the show. Good to have you on Innovative Founders. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Excited to be here today, Bob. Cool. Good energy today. Uh, Always, always great to talk to friends north of the border. And uh, especially when the weather is not quite what uh, we expect in the next couple of months. So (laughs) (laughs) we're all still smiling because we can still see the sun. So yeah, that's exactly it. (laughs) Awesome. So it's good to have you here. And you know, the first question I'd love to ask you is just what, what excites you right now? What, what are you working on? That's got you absolutely charged up and you can't wait to get up in the morning. Ooh, that's a good one. What excites me right now? You know, mm, we're playing with an idea and not fully formed, not completely done. You know, right now, fundamentally, what do we what we do at Unicorn Labs is we help train managers into becoming more effective leaders. Ultimately, those leaders create high-performing teams that help businesses scale and help you grow the company. Uh, what we realize is a, a lot of the work that we do ends up, you know, directly work, working with learning and development kind of office, uh, going to the VP of talent, them recognizing that they want some leadership development for their for their managers. And, and getting it into their hands. The question we started to ask ourselves is, well, how do we get directly to managers and how do we show managers mm. that they want to do this for their own success? You know, there's one pathway where we work with organizations directly, kind of like a B2B pathway, but how do we work with managers? What are managers looking for? And we started to kind of do more interviews on that and unpack that. And we started to kind of come up with this idea of, 
uh, unicorn leadership circles where, you know, you're not necessarily just paying for a program, a learning program, but you're paying to be part of a, of a leadership circle, a group of five other managers who are in a similar level with you in another tech startup company and being able to share the challenges, communicate, talk about what you're having difficulty with, what employees, what, what processes they use and allowing startups to learn from each other, but from a manager to manager level. And okay. those that are working on the day to day. And so we started playing with this idea of leadership circles and, and pitching to managers around that. And that's what's exciting me right now. It's we're, 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 the program's not launched. We're still early in it. We're trying okay. to figure out the value prop of it and how to position it well. But that way we're working directly with, you know, big businesses that want leadership training for managers, but also a lot of our startups that the managers themselves are identifying, hey, I need a little help and I'm not sure where to go. But having that peer to peer network where it's a facilitated leadership circle and you have access to resources and you're paying to be part of this group uh, where you meet once a month, you know, could that be of really good value? So we're playing with that. That's what's exciting for me, Bob. I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm playing with that, trying to see how we can, we can bring our, 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 our skills, our talent, our content, you know, what we've uncovered, what makes high-performing teams to, to the, to the startup world and, and help them uh, really make the most of it. Cool. So startups is kind of like, that's, that's your zone. That's, 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 that's our zone. That's, you know, okay. and, well, you know what I would say startups a funny term because you know, right. is, is, is having 200 employees, are you still a startup? <laughs> Arguably? Yeah. Some people will say they're still a startup. They're still, they're still, um, they're still at a place where they're, they're really growing really quickly. There's a lot of change happening. And so I'd say, you know, we work with uh, tech startups. Some of them have been around for five, seven years, eight years, you know, making them a little bit more of a mature startup, uh, but still they're growing at a pace where, uh, you know, the growth out kind of outpaces the, the talent that's there. And so they're constantly having to uh, put in levels of management and, and they're trying to figure out their culture. They're trying to figure out their organization. And that's where there's so much pain, growing pain that we come in and help you know, develop their managers and give them systems and give them processes in order to be able to scale. Cause All that's right. really who's, who's struggling with that. Awesome. So was this something when you start, well, we got to talk about the name Unicorn Labs, first of all, <laughs> right? Like, we'll put a pin in that. Like when you sat down, um, you know, like what, what made you like come up with this idea? Like, hey, I can help this. Like what, what's your experience in this? And like, what made you like go, hey, I can, I can fix this. Yeah. You know, that's, that's honestly a great question, Bob, because because there's a there was there there continues to be a lot of doubt at times. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I just put it put it there. I fell into it is the is the proper answer. I I come from a I you know I I was super involved in leadership programs. I mean, go all the way back to like high school days. I was your high school co-president of the high school. I did the leadership. Oh, camp. okay. You're one I of those leadership camps. I was one of those. All right. Um, I, 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 I worked uh, while, while in high school, I worked in, in a lot of camps and youth programs. And uh, at the end of my high school, I, I decided to start a camp, a day camp for kids during March break in the community that I grew up in Ottawa. It was, it's a low income community. You know, my family came to Canada in 98 and, uh, and uh, you know, we didn't have too much. We were newcomers. We were trying to figure out how to make most of life. And, and, and that community struggles in many ways. So, so, so I, I grew up as a camp kid and I, and I had this very community minded kind of aspect. And so we started doing all these leadership and like camp stuff going into university. I'm studying political science. I'm studying economics. I get super involved in leadership programs, running leadership programs for high school students while I'm in university. Right. And some of these are like fun games and just learning about yourself, learning to take initiative, learning to have confidence, kind of some of the soft skills that are just fundamental to teenagers, right? Like, you know, learning to public speak, learning to, 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 to lead a team and, and solve a problem and kind of be active citizens. I get super involved in my university. I become the president of student union at Carleton University. And, you know, that's different than like your little co-president high school. Yeah. Now you've got, you've got 150 staff that work for the student union. It's an $8 million nonprofit. It's, it's, it's quite Whoa. a sizable organization. Yeah. I think in, in Canada, they, they operate slightly different than U.S. The U.S., they tend to be sometimes societies as part of academic institutions. Yeah. yeah. Ours are, are like they, while they're, they represent the students, they're incorporated separately. Um, so here you are, I'm 21 years old and I'm, I'm leading this student union and for two years, and it's a crash course in like labor management. We have three unions 
like like actual like empl- union employees within the student union. Okay. You're working with three levels of government. You're working with the, the president of the university, you know, who does all the academic stuff. And you're trying to figure out how do we advocate for students effectively without, I mean, and this is good, without falling completely down the 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 woke, like everything, <laughs> like, which, you right. know, and, yeah. and, and, but you also are running business. We run the student pub and we run the health plan, insurance plan, and we run kidney stores. So you've got this like balance of all this. Anyway, so I'm, I'm like crash course into this, this, this student leadership stuff. Honestly, complete mess. Like I do a really good job in some areas where I'm, I'm very business focused. So we, we make the businesses phenomenal. All you know, right. we, we reduce our deficit, do this, all that stuff. But at one point I have, there's, there's, there's the impeachment trials. I actually get like someone motions to impeach me. Oh no, um, no. And, and, and it's because it's because I was so focused on pure results. I was so solely focused on how do we improve the financial situation, in the student union. Cause when I got into it, it was pretty much of a mess. And at the time, I, I don't think I, I considered the ideas of teamwork or leadership or proper management. It was, this is what we're going to do. I'm in charge. I was elected as president. So this is right. how we're going to do took, it. You took the general approach. I took the commander. Yeah. I took <laughs> the, you know, and, 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 and I was surprised because I was like, what do you, what, I got a ton of results. Like, what, 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 what do you mean? Like, I was, okay. we did our job well, but we pissed off a lot of people along the way. You know, uh. and, and that, and that, that really, you know, ultimately, Bob, I don't get impeached, you know, and, <laughs> and, 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 and things, and things get a lot better. And, 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 you know, it's, it's a full two year cycle for, for that. Anyways, I share all that because as soon as I left university, I kind of took two pathways. One, I was super into, into kind of, tech and startups, but I didn't have a tech background. I mean, I took a political science and economics degree. So I was like, I'm going to dive head in first into marketing and business development of some local tech startups I have here in Ottawa. We've got a good community of startups. So I started working for a, a, a startup doing business development because I was like, I can do some sales. I can do, I can understand it. I can get into this while I learn some, some more technical skills on the side. But at the same time, I had left such an impression on the student union, even though it was a bit of a mess, that I had other student unions come and say, hey, we, can you come work with our executives? You did oh. a good job. And like, you know, yeah, you had some hiccups, but you also did some really good stuff. Like, how do we balance that? Can you come? So we started doing a lot of work in developing young leaders. It was at high school level, at a university level, at a student union level. And here I was kind of doing my startup stuff. And then my side hustle was I'd go in and I'd tell some, some leadership stories, some keynotes some workshops that we had developed, I develop a program, you know, activities, some lessons, some reflection. And I just started consuming all the knowledge I can get my hands around on like how to be better leaders, how to create better teams. I, I pulled up, uh, I pulled up, uh, there was a master's in leadership in one of the universities and I didn't want to go and do a master's in leadership, but I looked at all the textbooks, bought them and just started like, I'll, I'm going to consume this. Like, let's, right. let's see where I can go. Um, the tech startup that I was working for a year in, not working out, it's not doing well. I kind of leave it. And I was like, you know what? I want, I want to, I want to take my hand on my own. Like I'm going to try, I want to try my own. Got a team together and, and we developed, um, we were using kind of uh, uh, essentially identified in the, in the cell phone market that there was a space for kind of a low cost cell phone that was branded really well. It's kind of All like right. this. Uh, you know, we've got this Kudo brand in Canada. I don't know if you guys know it, but it's kind of, no, this, it's, like a, it's a cheeky young brand of like cell phone service and it's like low cost, but it's fun. And, and they make fun of all the other people. And it's like, okay. you know, just, just a spunky little, and I was like, there are phones that in North America, we don't tend to access, you know, we, we tend to iPhone, Samsung, Google, like we tend to stick yeah. to our big ones, but right. there's a ton of other phones that we could import from China that are built, that are good. And if they're branded well, we can do we can do a whole thing. So a team of and a few friends we got together. We did this for about a year and a half, two years. We did a crowdfunding campaign. We raised about a hundred thousand dollars. We were we were making it happen. And, awesome. And and it was fun. We built out a brand. We got a ton of uh, news coverage for it. Um, but ultimately, uh, ultimately we we priced it completely wrong. <laughs> okay. Ultimately, Ultimately, like the, the dynamic, uh, the, the economics of a, of a hardware cell phone trying to import into Canada, Canadian networks, we were able to get the networks approval. We added the right chips. We, like we did a whole bunch of stuff, but ultimately we underpriced ourselves to the point where we weren't, we, the cost of acquiring a customer and actually delivering the phone and servicing it, we were bleeding money. And I was like, but can't you make that up in volume? 
So, so that's so 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 that's what I was going to make it up in volume because like we're 22, 23, and the skies, the world, like yeah. everything is possible. And um, you know, one challenge after another, uh, and like we we realize like we have a serious kind of capital issue. We need we need to raise some money for it. And so we go around um and 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 look if we can raise some money, kind of knocking a few doors and, and having a few conversations. And along the way, a few of us realized, okay, I don't think this is actually what we want to do. <laughs> We thought this was fun. We kind of liked so, it. A, a moment of self-reflection. It was a moment of holy fuck. Um, <laughs> there you go. This is, yeah. This is, this is, I don't know if I want to spend the rest of my life in like mobile cell phone market. Like, I thought it was a cool opportunity. We yeah. did a whole, you know, you do a few business classes and you can, you feel as a student, right? You feel you can use all your business analytics skills oh, sure. to map out a slide deck and a business plan. And, and we had identified and it's still true today is that cell phones reached what's considered a saturated market or a good enough market where you didn't need to upgrade anymore. Like the upgrade between the iPhone six and iPhone seven was huge. Seven and eight huge. Like you, you had these right. big jumps, but now, but now between the 11 and the 13 and the 14, you're just like, it's a little bit of a faster processor with a little bit of a better camera. That's right. all we're getting out. Right. right. So you've, right. We, we've reached a certain good enough market, which makes people willing to purchase lower tiered products it's the same okay. thing as, as the kind of laptop market anyway so that was our business case i'm going way off track bob so no you're good i, I do this we do this we think it's called frank is a phone so we had we had we had uh personified wait, the wait phone. what was it called frank, frank. is it well frank. frank and then it was like frank is a phone and so right. the name of the, the name of the phone was frank and we had this whole series where the next one had was was going to be like a, a female name and then we had their kids name we had built out this like fictional family all right who were, who were disgruntled with like the existing uh 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 you know people it was it was a fuck the man kind of campaign right gotcha and, you know of like would you one of our ads was you can ignore your you can ignore your mother on this phone too. You know, it was like <laughs> you're, tar you're targeting a younger demographic for sure. He was targeting younger demographic and saying, like, why are you paying two grand for a cell phone? Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. Here's something that can do exactly the same things without all the extra bells and whistles that you don't even use. So that completely kind of crashes after a year and a half of that. And I pick up a few other startup jobs while still this entire time, Bob, I'm doing like 10, 15 gigs a year where I'm going into high schools, going into universities and helping doing some student leadership stuff. And I'm just absolutely loving it. But I never realized that you could make a career out of this. Yeah. I'm also like, I'm also young. I'm teaching other young people like, ah, I don't know yeah. this, this is right for me. I'm doing a bunch of other startup work, marketing, business development. And one of my buddies who has his own startup grows his team to about 25 people. He comes to me and he's like, fine, I'm really, I'm, I'm struggling with some team stuff. And I was like, man, let's go grab coffee. And let's just chat. And I listened to a lot of the challenges he has. And he's like, I've got young managers. There's a lack of understanding of each other's personalities. There's a lot of conflict, not always trust. I, I, I'm struggling. I'm, 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 I'm spending every day managing the, the interpersonal interactions of team members. And I'm not focused on building the business. And I turned to him and I said, you know, it's funny. Like, that's a lot of stuff that we teach at the universities. <laughs> like, do you want me to help you? He's like, yeah. I'm like, cool. I'll come in. We'll do a workshop. And he's like, how much? I'm like, ah, forget it. Like, like, I'm helping you. Let me just come in. We'll do some stuff for your team. And we do a little workshop on some personality dynamics and how to work better together, share a few things, play a few games. And the team absolutely loves it. And he was like, wow, this was amazing. Like, can you come back every month and help us with this? And I was like, if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to have to get paid now. And he's like, right. yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, sure. Like, I, I'm like, I'm literally going to teach you what the stuff I'm doing at the university. There's no, there's no difference. He's like, yeah, sure. So that kind of kicks off and it kind of piques my interest of like, oh, a lot of startups have young talent that mm. has a lot of energy and a lot of passion, but is still unformed. And what I started to notice is that with startups, we promote from within because we can't afford really uh, 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 sometimes senior talent. What happens, Bob, is that you're the best engineer in the group and now we have four other software engineers. Well, so Bob, you're a team lead now. Just you're because not you've been there longer there longer you know the business okay. and, and you know the architecture and so what happens is a lot of promotions and management comes from people who have just been there longer uh and uh are the best at their craft and so we realize that there is a really interesting space in this and so uh slowly i kind of finished all the startup work i was doing and i started doing the youth leadership development stuff because it was going for me and i was doing a little bit of this tech leadership stuff and i met this trainer 
um, uh, local auto trainer who was doing this full time. And All right. I was like, Whoa, you do this full time? Like, how does how does this work? Yeah. And he talked to me about it. And I went to work for him for about six months, did a bunch of business development stuff to see the inside of it. What, what does it mean to build a training uh, training company? Worked for him about six months to a year and uh, had a good run. And then I, I said, uh, seeing the inside, I said, I can do this. I can do this. This There's there's definitely yeah. room here. We have some things that we've now been teaching at a university level for about four years. And, um, and, 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 and we can do this. At the same time, there was a position that opened up at the University of Ottawa to develop leadership programming uh, that, that is in, engaged in academic curriculum. So how do we take university regular social studies class and in, inject project-based learning, action-based learning, or kind of, uh, uh, and, and leadership. Cool. And I said, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to use it as a, as a foundation to build all our materials, to build the materials for, for the company. And that's what we've done. And so uh, we continue to teach at the University of Ottawa, where we teach leadership development, social innovation, social impact, how to use problem-based skills to actually innovate. Uh, and how to use our social studies in order to innovate. And I continue to work with our startup community here in Ottawa, but now nor across North America, we have, you know, clients across Canada, clients across the U.S. Um, and we work with them on two main aspects. Either one, developing their managers, leadership skills, those soft skills, how to, how to create psychological safety, how to empower, how to have effective communication, productive conflict, how to create a culture of leadership, how to create meaning, how to create purpose, how to create vision, mm. those skill sets. And we work with our teams, how to create a high-performing team. And so we do company retreats. We take retreats and we take the, the, the people out. And I always laugh because company retreats are like camp, right? Yeah. Literally. Yeah. take you out. We're going to do a bunch of games and activities. We're going to get to know each other, but then we're going to dive into it. And, and, you know, Bob, I was doing a keynote earlier today, a virtual keynote. And the question that we always said, and I tell people is that if I got you to write down the top 10 behaviors of high performing teams, you could probably get 75% of the answer, right? Based on all the research that exists out there, yeah. tons of research on what creates high performing teams, all the organizational psychology. And so people who nerd out like me think, oh, like we know all the secrets because we've read all the stuff. But if you took a guess, you could probably get 75% of it right without ever having picked up a book because a lot of it's common knowledge. But the challenge is actually implementing it. Sure. Right. And I use the analogy of a Rubik's cube. It's like, uh, you know what color should be on every side, but good luck solving it. Right. right? <laughs> it's like, you know the answer, but how do we do it? We know what high performing teams should look like and leaders should be, but we have a very hard time actually creating it because it's earned. Teamwork is earned. Leadership is earned. It's through time, testing, trying, making mistakes, and actually moving that. And we create a, a training environment that allows for that, a coaching environment that allows for that, expose them to ideas and give them chances to actually run with it. Hey, hope you are enjoying this conversation with Fahad. Uh, he works for a company or founded a company called Unicorn Labs. You can find more about them at unicornlabs.ca. Uh, they have some really great resources there. If you are in the type of company that is in the growing scaling phase, and you see a need to, as you're, as you're putting people in place and you're seeing some issues come up, uh, you want to connect with, with Fahad over at unicornlabs.ca. Uh, he's got some free resources there, very active on LinkedIn. Look him up on LinkedIn. His last name is spelled A-L-H-A-T-T-A-B. First name spelled F-A-H-D. Uh, really active on LinkedIn, a lot of great resources. So if you're in that situation or you know somebody who is, definitely want to have uh, check out Fahad over at unicornlabs.ca. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Regnaris and Brandon Boyd. So this is really interesting. I think a lot of what we see high school, college, is like we're developing like really technical people, right? It's like we're developing skills. We'll call them hard skills. Yeah. The stuff that you're in is, it's traditionally called soft skills, right? And, you know, like we've all been there like we're invited to a company retreat or team building and just the collective eye roll, right? It's just like, 
oh, here we go. Yeah. We're going to do a trust fall. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to be blindfolded and have to carry an egg. Like, so, so how do you, how do you get people that are just like ingrained with hard skills and like, just let me do my work to be like, Hey, like, this is going to actually help you do things like these, you know, soft skills, like lack for a better term. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you get buy-in? How do you get people to like go, oh my goodness, like this is valuable. Like what, what what's your process? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. Uh, great question, Bob. So, I mean, I mean, one of the, one of the first things that I, that I um, will kind of break down, I think most of us that do the eye rolls for the games that we do at these things um, are, are, are busy picturing very juvenile games and, and they typically yeah. are there, right? They're, they're what I call team bonding games, but people call them team building games. And there's a difference. Team hmm. bonding game is like a social activity that's silly and meant to break down barriers to make us all on the same level. That's why it's silly. That's why the manager doesn't like it because it removes their power dynamic. It mm. makes everyone blindfolded on the same level and we're no different. We're actually ripping off the mask and that's why we feel uncomfortable with it. The bonding games are meant to be silly. Intentionally make you cringe so that you can get past your ego because it's not about you. It's about the team. And we have to slowly chip away at that ego that's telling us, oh, I don't want to be silly in front of these people. It's professional. Right. Unless we can chip away at that ego, it is ever it's hard to ever reach the upper echelons of high-performing teams that are truly egoless and are there to serve each other. And that power comes with being able to be social. So one of the first things we do is recognize and own that, listen, we're going to do some bonding games. They're going to be silly. They're going to make you feel awkward. <laughs> and that's what I'm here for. I'm here to make you feel awkward. But this is why. Because I'm going to work with you on ripping off that mask that you hold on because that mask is what doesn't allow you to create psychological safety. That mask is what doesn't allow you to share vulnerably in order to actually have really good vulnerable debates that can improve. Then we get into team building. And this is where I think a lot of people miss the mark. So when teams do this stuff themselves without a professional, and this happens all the time, I tell people, run your own retreats, no problem. When you want me to come, let me know, Like, but do, do your own, give it a try. Because I think you could still do really well. You can do really well with the bonding part. The team building part, Bob, are the different pieces. This is where we do a very effective team dynamics assessment. It assesses teams on the six levels of high-performing teams. There are six levels that teams try to achieve based on, based on uh, a lot of our research. And each of these levels is assessed on eight different points. We give them a reflection exercise, and every team member has got to do it on their own. And they'll go, oh, yeah, I agree with this, I disagree with this, and so on and so forth. And then we get them in their teams and start talking about what's not working in our team. See, often teams do this. They, some teams will call them retros on their product. Okay, we just okay. did a sprint. We launched a feature. What's working? What's not? Okay. That's great. We do it with marketing campaigns. Okay. We launched a marketing campaign. What's working? What's not? What's our, what's our cost per lead? How's it, what's our clicks? We do all that stuff. We don't sit there and do it for the team. What's hmm. working? What's not? Are we getting along? Are the behaviors, the behaviors we expect? Are, are people micromanaging? Do people feel safe to share ideas and silly ideas? Do we allow for debate? Are people empowered? Do people make decisions or is it always fad making decisions? Is there clear goals? Are there clear roles? There are parts, often managers work in the team and not on the team. There's a reason a coach stands on the sidelines and isn't have the basketball in their hand taking the shot for you because the coach has to see things that you can't on yeah. the side. And so the team building aspects are the unique pieces where you're actually working on the team and what needs to happen. And then we get to team strategy. So you have team bonding, team building, and team strategy. And the other two missing pieces are really the, the meat and potatoes that I think people are missing in their camp-like games. And this is where we go beyond just like, we're here to socialize. Sure. So who, so you, you, you know, you, you kind of started off the conversation talking about who you're targeting, who, who ultimately says, we've got a problem. Like what, what does it look like? And then, then what happens and, and, and who does that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question, Bob. You know, often in, in small startups under, under kind of 30 employees, the CEO is usually the one says, and, and it's usually like, wow, I realized I have 30 employees. 
I no longer have impact on all of them. I'm okay. I'm I'm not available for all of them. So my leaders need to transcend the vision I had and the culture I have for the team. And and now collective intelligence is more important than the individual leader's intelligence. When you got a team of 10, you all have such close contact. Yeah, cool. You got things are moving along. Okay. Your startup's about 30, 40. The CEO starts to feel the distance. And they, they're, they, what happens is we, we call it C. I think Daniel Goleman coined this term called CEO disease. We bullshit filters upwards, and by the okay. time it's the CEO, it's like, yeah, yeah, things are great, it's, it's working, right? And oh. it's like you're filtered more and more the more layers you have, and so that's why a lot of CEOs struggle with ever creating layers. They want as horizontal as possible because they want to be in touch with the information, sure. and they know the further they are. So at that level, usually a CEO will say, okay, we've got some team challenges. Some, some people aren't getting along. We're not scaling well. Uh, so some of that stuff does get up. It does get like, up. It does get you up. Start you to, instead it. of like managing like, okay, well, here's what we're here to do. I've got interpersonal issues. We've got missed deadlines. We've got, you know, things that are just, there's like symptoms, yeah. right? It's like a doctor like, okay, well, that cough and that runny nose, like we got to figure out why that's happening. Yeah. Not just let's not put a bandaid on it. And that symptom, the biggest uh, symptom, Bob, that we see is you get us, you get a series a funding of $25 million. You hire a whole bunch of people. Sure. And you realize, Oh shit. My problem is now I've got too much. I'm trying to do too much. Yeah. It's it, it startups usually fail due to indigestion, not, not having enough opportunity or wow. trying to go after too much. And as soon as there's too big of a team, priorities start to shift. What is the priority? Where are we going? So at that level, we're usually at the CEO. When we get to about 100 employees, 150 employees, they've got a VP of talent. They've got a head of culture and people whose job is to take care of the culture, the hiring people. And they're usually in tune of, okay, I'm promoting managers, but I have no system in actually training them. Sure. Uh, or I'm promoting or hiring new managers. And we don't have a alignment across our leadership level on what we believe the values of this organization, how we should be as leaders, how we create teams and how to facilitate teams. So it's a, a lack of alignment at a, at a top leadership level and no, you're not setting people up for success. We're not setting up our managers who are, you know, like I said, the best engineer being put as a team lead, being put in a manager, but never having the skills to actually, uh, uh, you know, bring people together and get the most of them. And the key key factor here is that Research has shown us that 70% of employee engagement is directly determined by the manager, not okay. the CEO, not, you know, the, the affinity of your direct manager, 70% of employee engagement. I mean, if you're a math person and, and you're a CFO listening to this, you, you think, think about, I mean, how much loss can be prevented by simply having more effective uh, managers, right? If 70% of, you know, a manager is managing 10 people whose average salary is $60,000, you got $600,000, 70% of $600,000 is really the impact that they can have. And wow. not just like preventing loss. Also think about a super highly engaged employee, how they attract others too, and how they retain, right? So the, the opportunity for that resource to, to triple itself, quadruple itself. And that's why we call these, we, we, we call our high performing leaders, you know, these 10X leaders, or these unicorn leaders, because they have disproportionate impact on the company. That's awesome. So let's talk outside of school a little bit. Now let's not embarrass anybody or name names. Feel free if if like they give me permission, but I want to hear stories of transformation. Tell us, tell us something recent or something that in the last few years you're like, man, this company was here and we took them there. I'd, I'd love yeah. to hear a couple of those yeah. stories. Yeah. Yeah. We've got one company that we've worked with closely. Um, they were a professional services company and they were moving towards more productization of the professional services that they were creating. That was kind of the, 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 the set that they were in. There were about 20 employees, 25 employees. Give okay. it. And the CEO was having a lot of trouble scaling. It was him and two other executives. He had a CFO and he had a CTO. CFO kind of played a financial role, but also was kind of a VP of talent, kind of a mixed role. You don't sure. really need a full CFO for that size of a team, but that's kind of how they, they had it. And we were doing work with just the executive team. So in this case, we were working with managers. They had contacted us with just the C-suite team. And one of the challenges 
immediately that you could see was the team they built to get to where they are wasn't going to be the team they needed to get to where they needed to be. And that was very difficult for one of his C-suite team members to recognize that. So you hear that a lot. I mean, I don't want to go too far off topic, but you hear this a lot. Like the team that got you to where you're at is not the team that's going to get you. What does that really mean? So it means it's, 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 it's two, it's two things. You likely hired a team of a very, um, I'm going to use the word practical, very specialized, very um, junior, very specific roles. Right. Like you are hired to do this one thing. You're hired to, uh, you know, maintain our website, our front end of our app, right? Like you were hired to very kind of specific skills. Um, Because the model you've chosen, likely in leadership, is the model we call a genius with a thousand helpers. Okay. You are the genius. And you've got a thousand helpers around you to help build that vision. At some point, if you want to scale, you don't have to. This is the other conversation is that, hey, maybe you're happy with where things are. Okay. You're a 20 person company and, and keep it going this way and make it profitable and, and, and run that. But if you want to scale to the 10, 100 million kind of revenue that you're thinking about, you have to get out of your own way. You cannot choose to be the genius of a thousand with a thousand helpers. You have to create sub teams and a neural network of teams that mm. are all interdependent, but also able to lead themselves. The, the, the fault is that your leadership charisma is so good and so determined that it overshadowed your ability to build other leaders around you. And that was happened specifically is that you built a team around your specific needs in order to be a genius of a thousand helpers. The question is, what does the next phase look like? And so we had to build a vision for what the next phase looked like and develop a hypothetical map of the team. What at what? So, so the difference is now you've got to hire senior talent that has strategic ability to think strategically and industry-wide. That hmm. was the shift, right? Okay. Versus hiring junior talent that can execute. You need to hire talent that can think strategically and and have experience across industry to open doors. And so that was the next phase. We had to we had to let go of one of the senior one of the C suite individuals. So this is a common mistake: is that in startups, we'll too quickly push someone into a C suite role. Mm. There's no once you do that, there's no room up, which means that there's no room of hiring someone more senior. And the law of the lid, which is a leadership principle that John Maxwell introduces, the idea is that organizations can only grow to the leadership capacity of their individuals. Well, that individual C-suite executive, what did not have the necessary skills to take the technology to the next level, but we couldn't hire someone above them because they were the CTO. Okay. And so you, you, you had a moment where you were stuck, where the person didn't have the right skills and there was no space to hire someone more intelligent. And if you did hire someone more senior, they likely wouldn't be happy reporting under that person. That would cause sure. significant dynamics. So what happened is that they hired someone more senior that was under the CTO and that friction eventually caused the CTO to leave, realizing okay. that they weren't left under left under his own accord, essentially left in their own accord after a lot of friction. So sure. right, so so you know there, there's an example of like the 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 pain, the pain of growth, right? Like right. you're gonna have to replace some systems, you're gonna have to replace some people, you're gonna have to hire senior at a strategic level to start to introduce a real leadership level, and you have to remove yourself. From the from the everyday, you know, control or the everyday uh, work, oh. and this is where you know we encourage CEOs to you need to micromanage your zone of genius. Like, what are you the absolute best on? And for this CEO, it's like I'm actually the best at closing the big sales, the multi million dollar sales. It's like no one else has ever been able to do that. I'm the only one that does in this team. Okay. All right, how do we how do we get you to do more of that? Because that's your super zone of genius. Because to get someone to replace that would cost us way too much. The, the best skill that you have would probably cost too much to actually replace because it's okay. truly, truly a talent. And so when CEO can identify their zone of genius, they can start to delegate the rest and open it up. And they no longer fall into the trap of being a genius with a thousand helpers. So this team went from about 20, 25 pro serve. There are about 40, 50 employees now. So they've doubled it. 
and they've landed contracts significantly larger. Their revenue has tripled because we were able to unbottleneck their, their situation. They had a bottleneck and their bottleneck was their C-suite team. They're a perfect example. Now they've introduced managers to help team leads and we now train their managers. Now we work okay. with them on their managers because their managers need the necessary leadership skills in order to be able to do that. Hey, I hope you're having a great time listening to my conversation with Fahad today. You know, one of the questions that uh, we we talked about was how he got started. It's always a fascinating question that we like to capture on film here at Feed Stories. Well, when we sit down with our clients and we are creating their core set of videos, uh, one of the biggest assets you can create is what we call a big why video. And with those videos, what we do is we, we kind of hear what makes you tick. Quite often there is a fascinating story that leads up to the company that you started. Sometimes there is a life event that happens. Sometimes there's just this, hard to say, but it's, it's just kismet. Things come together and you're kind of thrust into a situation, kind of like Luke Skywalker in Star, in Star Wars. You're kind of called to something. So you may or may not believe, but your story really matters. As people are coming to get to know you and deciding whether or not they're gonna do business with you, your story matters a lot. And if they resonate with your story of how you started and why you do what you do and, and how you are wired and what makes you tick, you're gonna have a really valuable customer, client, or patient on your hands. So if you want to have somebody help you draw out that story and create that big wide video, contact us over at feedstories.com. We'd be glad to have a conversation with you and help you out. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now back to your hosts, Bob Rignaris and Brandon Boyd. How do you how do you measure your success? Is it I mean, I'm, I'm assuming revenue has got to be one aspect, right? I mean, you need some ROI. Uh, how else do you kind of measure that what you guys are doing is actually making an impact? Yeah. So we we measure employee engagement scores. That's a key one. Okay. We also we also measure um, uh, uh, revenue per employee. So you're not just in increasing revenue. Are you increasing the ratio of revenue per employee, which is the effectiveness of each employee? Um, now that number is different across industries. Typically with startups, it's we, we, there's a good benchmark because sure. it's a tech company. So it's easy to do. I mean, like Google has the best revenue per employee ratio. It's something <laughs> stupid, like $2 million per employee, which is right. Yeah. Everybody's of. a prince there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you're rolling in that much advertising dollars, nothing matters. Right. You know? Um, uh, so we have employee engagement scores. We also have team dynamic scores that we keep and we update every six months where each team does a team dynamic score on the six levels. And we have a leadership 360 score, which is how are your leaders, each of your leaders doing uh, uh, and, and, and their, you know, their, their supervisors rank them and their, their peers rank them and their subordinates rank them. So it's a full 360. And so we look at, you know, our employee engagement scores going up, down, what's happening is revenue per employee as a ratio getting better. Our team dynamics improving and is our leadership 360 scores improving? And so we look at the relationship between those and those are the, our measures of success. Now, here's something that, that tends to happen when we start working. When we start working with them, team dynamic scores tend to drop. Okay, change. Yeah. Yeah, you're coming in, outsider, change. People do not like change at all. The initial phase is now here's a here's a good one bob here's another case study we had working with a team we took their entire management team it was about eight of them through our leadership program um and at the end of the leadership program i turned to the ceo and i said you're about to have some 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 moving pieces he said why i'm like i think we've ruffled some feathers <laughs> within two months three executives left okay one of them left because they said the training made me realize that this is not the company I wanted because the culture is not there. And I realized the culture I wanted because the training showed me what we could do with the culture. So that was, a, that was a loss that was really important to them. The two others left because they realized they were the problem. And everyone wow. kind of turned towards like, you're, you're toxic. You fight with everyone. So they, they, are, they, they kind of left saying, oh, well, I don't want to be part of this, so on and so forth. Four months later, the, the the one that left that didn't want to be part of the team because of the culture issue came back and said, oh, you got rid of those two individuals. I'm coming back. Wow. So what might happen sometimes when you dive in, 
I, it, it's it's painful because to, right. to look at the mirror and be like, this shit's not working. Your team dynamics aren't working. There's toxic behaviors and you've got, you can no longer put up with them. And we, yeah. we, we know this because you just look outside, right? You've got, you've got a rose bush that is, is raw. It's, it's like, it's reached its capacity in order for it to produce fruit flowers. Again, you got to trim it back. And for a while, you're like, all right, this looks a little ugly. Like what's, and then, you know, I'm look, I'm looking at this rose bush outside, like all of a sudden the other, the other day, it's like, boom, it just exploded with flowers. And it's like, oh, there you go. Like sometimes you need this. And, and oftentimes you need this, like, yeah, there's going to have to be some cutting away some attrition for you to actually get to the next phase. And that may be scary for some people, but I, what, what I like, what I hear Fahad is that you've got, accountability, you've got measurements. So for the CEO, the executive team that like, they want to know that, okay, we bring in this, we bring in this expert, we're, we're bringing soft skills to this, to this company, but it's still measurable. So in yes. that way, it's like, there's accountability. It's not just like, we're going to try this out. I, I think that should make a startup who is like, they're, they're hungry for growth, give them some sense of peace because it's like, Hey, we're going to make sure that we're doing this surgically versus dropping a, a an A-bomb in the middle of your company. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I, and we really hold ourselves accountable to the, to that data. And, you know, uh, we have a leadership program and, and I always say our, our goal is not to finish the program, get everyone through every module and coaching session, right? Like we have a number of videos, we have coaching sessions, we have assessments. The goal isn't to get them through it. The goal is to transform them. And so our promise to a lot of our clients is that if, if your, if your staff are not leaving transformed or we've improved things and, and they, and they see what they can do and there isn't a tangible impact, then we'll keep coaching them. And yeah. we'll keep coaching them until we feel that we've actually achieved that success because the promise that we're making is the transformation of your leaders for your managers into leaders that create these unstoppable teams. And that's the goal. Awesome. All right. So who, who's kicked you out? <laughs> you've had a client that is like, no, we don't want this Fahad. Like get yeah. out of here. Has this happened? So, so I've kicked some out too. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll take that. I'll take that one. <laughs> but definitely um, we've had clients, what I'd say, Bob, who outgrow us. And it's kind of a sad moment, uh, but also an appreciated moment. Sure. It's a moment. It's a moment where, you know, they're at four or 500 employees. They do our program for a year or two years. They say they really liked it. We loved it. Uh, but we've decided that we now have enough capacity to develop our own in-house leadership program. Awesome. At, at which point I say, that is the best route for you. If you have the capacity to maintain and develop and, and host an effective in-house leadership development program, I do suggest you do that because it'll have the nuance of your organizational culture. It'll have the nuance of your industry. You'll understand it more, especially if you get a professional that comes in to, to do it, right? Not just any HR person, oh, I've done HR for a while, I'm gonna teach leadership. No, someone whose craft this is, who's read, knows the literature, practice in it has trained outside, you know, but is coming in house, kind of like bringing a lawyer in house, right? Like, yeah, you, you, you want that if that's what you're doing, then go for it. And so we had we had one client, that's what they were going for, kind of a sad departure. But that was that was that was one. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a graduation versus a firing. That's, that's cool. a graduation versus a firing. There you Let's, go. Firing. Um, we've had Yeah, I've had I've had I'm trying to think which one we've had one. So we had one. And um, I would say this was early on in the company. Um, they were a 25 person, uh, company and typically 2025 is small. Like today, if a 25 person company came to me, I really would interview them more to determine whether they would actually benefit because a, a, a startup has a lot of debt. They have financial debt. They have technical debt. They have knowledge mm. debt, right? Like they've got talent debt. Like there's just a lot and you're cutting corners to try and make something work. Right. And if you prioritize the wrong debt, you might not make it to the next stage. So do you prioritize kind of talent and learning debt through leadership development that early on? And so the company came to us and they were interested in doing a retreat. So we said, okay, we'll do a retreat with you. That's fun. Then they said, well, we want some more of the coaching and leadership development. And so we began with that, but it was a bad fit from the beginning. Yeah. It was pulling teeth. No one really wanted to be there. They were way too 
busy with just building their thing. Their product wasn't fully working. So they felt they were talking leadership stuff, but they're like, I don't even have a product that's working properly. And so we took on a bad client and it ended up, you know, them coming back saying, we don't want this anymore because we don't need coaching. And I said, yeah, like, I think it's the wrong priority in this moment. But what was interesting when I reflect back on it is that their VP of their VP of talent or culture in that team it was a small team for having a VP of talent, but they had an office manager slash VP of talent had been the one to request the leadership development. And it was because the CEO was a bit of an asshole. Yeah. And so it was requested to try and help mitigate that, but it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily accepted and it wasn't the right time for it either. Right. And so we were left saying, you know, this isn't great for us. This isn't, you know, and so that, that didn't work out. Well, I think it's really important. Like if, if we're, uh, we do client work at feed stories and we've had bad client engagements, like, like they, they don't like the video. They, they didn't have a great experience. Yeah. And while it's painful at the time, you take a step back and go, okay, what did we know before we took their check yeah. that allowed us to go, Oh, this was good. This was destined to be a bad thing. And so, you know, we all do this. Like, you don't like to say no, you don't like to turn down revenue. Mm -hmm. But then every time you have one of these experiences, we add it to our list of like, okay, now we know to ask this, this, and this before we ask for a check yeah. because we're going to, we're going to eliminate that pain for us. And we're also going to eliminate that pain for them. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, I, I think that's really important for any sort of service provider, wouldn't you say? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea. That's a tough one. Yeah. We, all say it, we all say it, but it's, it's, you know, in the beginning of doing some of our trainings, um, I would say I had, I had a, I had a, a, a default narrative that like, oh, they're not, this isn't going to work. They're not going to mm. like, it. because I can't, I came from doing a lot of leadership development stuff where people absolutely loved it to to like in the, in the, in the educational environment, like we were doing leadership development for teachers, like for their students, all that. It was all educational environment. When I started shifting more towards tech stuff. Some people loved it. And then some people were the like, oh, this is bullshit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I wasn't ready for that. And so, so I, I had, you know, like, but I, I started to realize there's some companies we don't try to pitch companies who don't believe in training. Yeah. If you don't believe in training, I'm not going to be the one to convince you that training is going to solve all your issues in this moment. If you already believe that training is important, I'm going to be an option there for you that I think we can help you. If you're a startup tech environment and you've got a manager challenge and employee engagement and you're growing really like we've got a specific yeah. area that I know we could help you with. Right. And that's and that's so key. Like, I mean, you're just you just get better at this. Like experience has a lot of value. And 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 when you have an experience that's either negative for the client or for you, it's like, oh, OK, now I know not to have that type of client, If especially if there's a pattern there. Like you just develop this this ability. It's like, you know, you're working out and eventually like, man, it's like I've got this muscle memory now where I know like I, I know where I fit in. Yeah. And I know where I don't. I don't try to squeeze myself in places that I don't fit in. And that's that's a really amazing place to get to with a company. Yeah. 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 And I I, I feel like we're getting there. We're honing in on it, you know, learning it, uh, learning. But as you know, we, you, you still go through it. It's iterative. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely. So, so I'm going to give you a crystal ball right now, Fahad. Um, it could be a personal thing you're looking to the future, or something with business, something with the marketplace. Like, where, where are things going? What do you see happening in the future? You know, um, I think cohort-based learning is skyrocketing. I think it is where we're realizing, you know, I think we went from a lot of, in the learning and development space, people looking at purely asynchronous learning, uh, which we see really low retention rates and engagement rates. And we went all the way on the other side of one-on-one -on -one coaching, which mm -hmm. is great, very expensive, hard to scale, you don't get the peer-to-peer -peer bit. We're looking at more and more cohort-based leadership development within companies and across companies. And I think, you know, more and more our society believes in the importance of coaching, importance of continuous learning, because that would give us the productivity edge in each of our companies. Mm -hmm. And it more and more as, as certain technologies hit the productivity frontier where there is not much left to optimize, teamwork becomes the secret advantage. 
your ability to create a team that works really effectively together and the leader is important for that. And so if you're in an industry, it's extremely competitive. Yeah, you're going to have your unique value proposition. Yeah, you're going to try to innovate in, in the, on the margins of your technology. But ultimately, how effective your team is going to be the largest determinant in these extremely competitive environments. And especially if we're seeing a downturn of dollars in terms of investment and in a recession, then the competitiveness and how effective each unit, each person, each resource you have, and and what they're able to churn is going to be is going to matter more. So I think teams are actually going to be investing in more cohort-based learning together, learning together instead of learning separately, and and trying to optimize their ability to work together, especially this added layer of remote. Remote has made working together a new challenge. Yes. Right? It's, it's obviously beneficial and productive, but it creates challenges in kind of reciprocal team environments that require, imagine playing basketball remotely. You can't for a reason. It's a team sport. And Correct. so there are certain parts of business that are a team sport. And so when are we willing to toggle that on and off? And I think the learning has to be part of learning to be effectively in a remote environment investing in our leadership, investing in our team. Uh, team. I think some of those movements are, are going to be uh, necessary in the next decade, especially if we see the next two, three years with a slower cash flow and, and, uh, and kind of recession that's looming. Yeah, I think you're spot on in that. So uh, this, this, this segment, this last segment is for you. We call it 60 second rant. Um, we've had guests rant about their uh, experience at the DMV. We've had people rant about things in the marketplace. Like, I'm just going to give you the platform for a minute here. You can rant on anything you want. And it's just, just give us a little more insight into who you are. <laughs> I wasn't expecting a rant. Um, there you go. I, what am I to rant about? Um, you know, it, it, so it, it comes, you know what? It comes to the name. You asked why Unicorn Labs. I believe that far too many of us obsess over product market fit and business market fits, but we don't consider talent business fits. We don't consider talent culture fits. How does the individual talent actually help achieve the team goals and how do we create those team environments? We obsess over trying to invest in marketing, invest in, in, in product, invest in new technology, building those things, but we don't invest in our individual people. People mm -hmm. get a university degree and then they go work. And the only expectation is that you learn on the job or you go to a conference in Vegas once a year. <laughs> Unless we are truly investing in our people to learn, you're, you're not going to build a unicorn product without unicorn people. You're not going to build a, a, you know, a, a, a unicorn company uh, without investing in constant learning and development. And that doesn't have to be leadership. I mean, technical learning and HR learning and marketing learning, but we've got to be able to learn, execute, learn, execute on a, on a constant basis. And I think that's where the edge comes from. And uh, I, I struggle when I see companies that don't have either learning development budgets or they do have learning and development budgets, but they expect that people aren't going to use it. They literally, <laughs> they literally, oh, every employee has $4,000, but our expectation is that only 25% of employees are going to use it. Well, that should be the downfall. Like, that should worry you. That should scare you that only 25% of your workforce is going to use a budget that's made for learning and leave that money sitting. And, and I think that is where we should obsess about creating learning cultures in our organization. That's where we get a lot of innovation. Awesome. That qualifies. That's a good rant. <laughs> awesome. Um, tell us a little bit about how people can learn more about Unicorn and any resources and anything you have for them. Definitely. I mean, you can check us out on unicornlabs.ca. You'll find us. You can find any of our social media platforms. Also, you can find me. I'm very active on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. So Fahad Alatab. Um, and uh, I think if, if you get onto our website, we've got some free trainings available. We've got a free assessment on, on their six levels of high-performing teams. Uh, we've got different materials that you can just engage with, see if it's all for you. Um, and we'd be happy happy to chat, happy to, to, to book a call and actually talk about how we can help your team. Well, that's awesome. Great spending some time with you today. Uh, we did miss Brandon. Brandon, I'm, I'm sure you're listening or not. Who knows? I <laughs> um, uh, wish you could have been here, but no, thank, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks, great Bob. energy. I just I just love your story of kind of figuring out how you fit in. 
Um, a lot of us have that that path too, where it's like sometimes the universe just goes here. This is for you, and <laughs> and, and they put an opportunity in front of you. So that that's awesome. So congrats on that, and uh, you know, best success and uh, continued growth for your company as well. Thanks, Thanks for spending awesome. time with us today. Much appreciated. Take good care. Thank you for listening to The Innovative Founder with Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd, a show featuring the real stories of entrepreneurs making their beautiful dent in the world. If you like the show, let us know by leaving a rating. If you're an innovative business founder yourself with a story to tell, then you might just be our next guest. Reach out to us on InnovativeFounder.com and tell us your story. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Innovative Founder.